0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable Series, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, partner at Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Each year, we kick off our program with a special series of Year in Review programs, broken down by region and focusing on the most impactful regulations of the past 12 months as well as forecasting of important topics that will impact employers in the coming year. Today, we're speaking with our ELA member representing the beautiful country of Bermuda, which is a British overseas territory. Joining us on the program today is Juliana Snelling, a barrister and attorney of 27 years in Bermuda and a director of Canterbury Law Limited. Juliana, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm great, Tara. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's so good to see you. And of course, here in Nebraska,
1: it is bitterly cold and snowy. How are things in Bermuda today? Today, it's a beautiful, clear, still day. We're we're blessed with our subtropical climate. It's probably in the 50s, so Bermudians are complaining about the temperature. We shouldn't be <laughs> complaining. Well, we're all jealous of you here today.
0: So as we talk about our year review program and we think about what's been happening and what's been keeping folks busy over the last year and what's on the horizon for 2024, January is always a great time to hit that reset button and really think about what have we been dealing with? What have we been impacted by? And what's going to keep us busy going forward? And so on that note, what would you say were some of the most significant legal changes in 2023 that impacted employers?
1: Yes, Tara. Well, Bermuda, the uh, government's had a busy year enacting legislation, and the most fundamental new legislation that's been put into place last year was new minimum wage for the first time ever. So effective June 1 of last year, 2023, the government enacted three new pieces of legislation all tied to a new minimum wage. And that's the Employment Minimum Hourly Wage Entitlement Act 2022 with accompanying regulations and the Employment Minimum Hourly Wage Order 2023. And essentially, the new law is that mostly all employees working in Bermuda are entitled to be paid a gross hourly wage of $16.40. That's Bermuda dollars, which is on par with the U.S. dollar. They are used interchangeably here. And after much confusion and kerfuffle after this new law was enacted, in the hospitality industries in particular, there was much confusion on how do we deal with gratuities and commissions. And the government clarified after that for those who earn GRATS service charges and commissions or a combination of those, these are allowed to be combined with the base wage to make up the $16.40. So it's much easier for employers to make up that figure because they're allowed to count those. They're not allowed to count tips that are voluntarily given by the customer straight to the waiter. So that's been clarified and will be clarified further next year in new legislation that we'll talk about shortly. But what are the challenges that that new law has introduced to Bermuda? First of all, for any expatriate foreign workers that are working here under an immigration work permit, the government has demanded that employers update all the statements of employment. That's what we call our contracts that are on file with government to not only state now the annual salary, but they also have to state the hourly wage of being paid over the pay reference period. And government's been sending work permit applications back to employers. And when they apply to renew work permits, they've been sending them back because employers are forgetting to state the hourly wage that's being paid in addition to the salary. Another challenge that will be a big one for employers is the keeping of records. Now employers, because of this new law, will have to keep records for at least six years in essentially three categories. Number one, any document that proves they're complying with the legislation and paying the employee at at least the minimum hourly wage. Two, they have to keep copies of the contract and any other documents that have been agreed between the parties or that record an agreement about hours of employment, remuneration, and conditions of employment. Currently, they only have to have the actual statement of employment, but now you have to have any other side documents. Where the employer might have dumped something about a side agreement on pay, all of that must be available. And finally, it's always been the law since 2000 that there must be itemized pay statements, but the employer now has a positive duty to keep records of the itemized pay statements in itemized format, which will show deductions, allowances, gratuities, service charges, all of that over time, etc. Because currently, there's always a lot of confusion going to the tribunal about what a pay statement is actually showing the parties. So now it will be mandated. They have to be much clearer. And employers will be punished with fines, criminal fines or civil penalties imposed by the labor relations tribunal if they're not complying with the new law. And if the employer is found not to have complied, they will face a heavy penalty of paying twice the amount of the minimum hourly wage In respect of every employee that they have breached their duties to, for every day on which the failure to comply is continued, so employers have to get their ducks in a row about all of that. Of course, that doesn't affect our executive contracts in the reinsurance insurance industry, who are being paid, you know, um, very handsome salaries and bonuses, well over five hundred thousand probably a year. But there's a significant blue collar. You know, working population in Bermuda, so it does affect many employers. A second item that government put on the agenda in 2023 was guidance issued under the Employment Act 2000 that clarifies what's an independent contractor and what's an employee. So the Employment Act for the last 22 years since it's been in existence has always said that an employee who is protected under the Act not only is an employee in the real sense, but someone whose terms and conditions more closely resemble that of an employee than an independent contractor. In other words, if it quacks like a duck, it is a duck. So if it quacks like an employee, it is an employee. We don't care what you call it. So the Act gives force to this guidance that government has now published effective April 1, 2023, the purpose of which is to help both parties to the employment relationship decide is this worker entitled to the protections of the employment act and also entitled to the relevant employee benefits that you can find in employee separate employee benefit legislation in Bermuda if of course if you're a mere independent contractor you don't have those protections or those benefits so you have a lot of rogue employers who will try to call somebody who isn't in fact an employee an independent contractor to try to get around cheapen the deal so you don't have to pay their benefits or vacation leave, sick leave and those types of things under the Act. So government has said employers and employees read this guidance. It's been published to the public and the tribunal is entitled to have regard to it when it's deciding what the relationship is. And the guidance lists 12 indicators that are typical in the common law cases about what's an independent contractor, what's an employee. So employers will not be able to come to the tribunal feigning ignorance that they don't know the difference between an employee and an independent contractor. So that's a good protection for employees that's come along in 2023. And I would say those are the two big main changes for that year.
0: You know, it's interesting in the U.S. We've also had recent uh, announcements by the U.S. Department of Labor articulating the standard for classification of workers, whether they be an independent contractor or employee, So it certainly seems like there's been a push in many countries to have more protection for workers, whether it's by minimum wage, as you mentioned, or classification of independent contractors to make sure that organizations aren't taking advantage of workers and not providing adequate wages or benefits.
1: That's exactly right, Tara. Yes. And, you know, some
0: of these changes that you identified are pretty significant, especially on the minimum wage piece of it. How much notice did employers have? with regard to these new laws, to be able to budget and plan for it?
1: Well, the precursor to all of this minimum wage new law is the 2019 Living Wage Commission Act, which established a wage commission to look into a living wage and a minimum hourly wage. So we've been kind of, you know, thinking about it for three or four years before it came into effect. But, you know, that doesn't get employers ready. You need the law to change. And then suddenly everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Gets their act together quickly. Exactly. Uh, Nothing
0: like a new law to get employers' attention. That's right. And, you know, in some ways, laws and regulations that develop take some time to really show us how they will impact employers. Have there been any other recent legal changes that continue to impact employers that you're seeing in your practice?
1: Yes, Tara. In 2021, the government substantially amended the Employment Act that had been in effect for over two decades, introducing a raft of new amendments. And one of those amendments that employers still have not seemed to come to grips to when they come before the tribunal is that from the beginning, you must have a statement of employment, i.e., the contract, that sets out certain enumerated fundamental terms that are contained in the act. But since 2021, employers must also state whether certain of those terms are not included. So they have to expressly state, for example, there is no pension or there is no overtime payable, for example. So it's clear and the employee sees it and can take advice on it, no doubt, at the time. And I mentioned overtime because that is always a tricky clause that employers often fall afoul of. Section nine of the act says that you must pay overtime for over 40 hours a week at time and a half, straight wages, time and a half times that, Unless you're a professional employee like we are, where our annual salary has been calculated to reflect that, of course, we're going to work over 40 hours a week, or unless the parties contract out of overtime. So a very big way out. You could just agree no overtime is payable. But since 2021, you must state that. And a lot of employers are failing to state that in the contract. And then you get to the tribunal hearing. And there's big confusion about whether overtime was agreed or not agreed and whether it has to be paid and whether penalties need to be paid because, you know, this wasn't complied with that you didn't include the term and leaving aside whether you have to then go back and pay overtime for years because you should have, you can receive a civil penalty for not including the exclusion in your contract. Another new area in 2021 that was introduced with the raft of amendments was a half-time probationary review. So obviously, it's easier to terminate a, an employee during their probationary period for any reason before these amendments, as long as they didn't violate human rights legislation. You could just not like them anymore and pay them out their notice. But since the act was enacted, you have to have a valid reason to terminate. And the 2021 amendments say you must have a halftime probationary review, and you can only terminate for certain reasons during probation, which include performance, conduct, operational requirements is a wide list of reasons, but they are specific purposes that must be relied on. And we are finding a lot of employers are not doing the halftime probationary review. So it makes it much more difficult for them to terminate after halftime because they haven't fulfilled their statutory duty of sitting down with the employee and going, hey, it's not working, actually. You know, you've got some more time, but here's what's wrong. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. And here's what you got to do to improve. So it might be an unfair dismissal, even if you terminate it during the probationary period without that review. I suspect those are going to be issues that continue to keep you very busy in 2024. Mm-hmm. Oh, and- certainly. Yes. Not to mention the new laws that, you know, are, will be coming to force or expected to come into a force. And so
0: as we're sitting here at the beginning of 2024, I won't ask you about your New Year's resolutions, but I will ah. ask you about your predictions for 2024. And in your words, what other employment laws or policy changes are anticipated to have the biggest impact on human resources organizations and employees?
1: Well, I would like to say that I am 18 days sober in my dry January, so because (laughs) I've achieved that resolution, I'll state it on (laughs) on Congratulations. Thank (laughs) you so much. But the biggest change certainly will be the finally coming into force of the 2016 Data Protection Act, which is called the Personal Information Protection Act, or what we locally know as PIPA. So PIPA 2016 has only partially been in effect for the administrative provisions that set up the Privacy Commission office to start getting everything ready. But we now know that January 1, 2025 is going to be the effective date of the Act when it the Act gets its teeth and suddenly will come into effect for employers, whereby we have to be very careful how we use, process, store, transfer, touch personal information of our employees, including sensitive personal information related to human rights characteristics. So for the first time ever, way behind many other countries, we will have our own version of GDPR, whereby we have to be very careful how we process, store, and manage our employees' information and only use them for lawful purposes that are set out in the Act And collecting only what's relevant and retaining, you know, only what's relevant and, you know, lots of other policies we have to get in place over the next year. So what do employers have to do to get their ducks in a row over the next year? Well, they're going to have to update their policies or indeed create new policies, clear ones, that address all the requirements of and contained in the Act to ensure compliance with the legislation ensuring that the personal information they use is accurate, relevant, and not excessive to the purposes for which it is used. And the policies will cover such things as handling and retention of data, data management, privacy policies, the appointment of a privacy officer in each company that, you know, each company will groan. They just got over appointing compliance officers and money laundering reporting officers. Now you're going to have a privacy officer but ensuring that you know, the information that our employees give us is only used for the lawful purposes and making sure that we dispose of them after you know, there's no good reason for holding on to that information. Another act that is expected next year, following upon the minimum wage legislation and the confusion that erupted after that act with gratuities, tips, etc., is the Protection of Employee Tips and Other Gratuities Amendment Act. 2023 that will be expected to become law in 2024, that's going to define what gratuities are, what service charges are, because we tag on a 17% mandatory service charge usually on our menu bills, but prevent the withholding of GRATs and establishing safeguards of what goes to the employee, not just the $5 that the, you know, the customer slips in the employee's pocket to better protect and tie that in with the minimum wage better. Governments also on the minimum wage front announced that the next step is to develop a framework for a living wage, which is going to be higher than a minimum wage. Living wage looks at the actual expenses that a family has to pay for to afford a socially acceptable standard of living, taking into account the extremely high basic living costs of Bermuda being one of the most expensive standards of the highest standards of living in the world. So that will have the effect we expect of raising the minimum wage to come more into line with the living wage. And finally, Tara, we have some exciting immigration policy changes that have come into being this year, just late in 2023, but now taking effect in 2024. Our population is the lowest it's been in 20 years. We have an aging population, I expect, like most jurisdictions, with problems with pension funds going to go bust and things like that. So government announced a policy last year of it wants to increase the working population by 8,400 people in the next five years. And one of the way governments is encouraging business expansion and people moving to the island is it has introduced four new exciting types of work permit including the new business work permit, the global entrepreneur work permit, the FinTech business work permit, and just the global work permit. And these are much more streamlined types of work permit for new, exciting entrepreneurial type businesses that want to set up on the island. And the immigration policy will make it much easier for them to get work permits for their employees who they want to hire after they set up on the island a new company. So the government welcomes these entrepreneurs with open arms. And we've seen a lot come during the COVID crisis because Bermuda is a beautiful place to work remotely in an apartment on the beach. And those people have decided they like it here and would like to set up new exempted companies. So we hope that this will encourage new business on the island and give us employment lawyers more work. And that's a really fascinating approach to
0: an issue that I think a lot of countries are dealing with right now of not having enough people in the workforce to get work done and to fully staff companies. So, you know, you've talked about a lot of changes here that will maybe catch an unwary employer off guard if they haven't been educated or haven't had sufficient training. And so what are some other simple things that you can think of that employers can do to ensure that they're staying in compliance and staying up to date on these wealth of changes that we've discussed?
1: Consult your ELA, Employment Law Alliance, top lawyer in whatever jurisdiction you're practicing. And we are global. We have the top employment lawyers all around the world. And we can audit your practices. We can audit your policies and just make sure you have your ducks in a row in a practical way and train your staff so that they're in touch with their new rights and their new obligations under the different legislation and just get your policies in order. And it's worth hiring someone just to have a look at your old policies, to update them with new ones or create new ones so that you go forward with clarity and your employees go forward with clarity. And that just reduces the chance of litigation later and future legal costs that you really could save now. Always sage advice. Well,
0: Juliana, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a fascinating discussion about all of the legal developments in Bermuda. And thank you so much for being a part of our Year in Review series. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Tara. I really appreciate having the opportunity to take part. If you'd like to
0: connect with Juliana, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law or download our app by searching Employment Law Alliance in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Additionally, check out training.ela.law to access our training portal featuring online harassment prevention programs and much, much more. Information about all of the programs available in our year in review series and other resources are available on the event landing page at ela.law. You've been listening to the Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable, a series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley, and thanks for listening.